We are in the middle of our studies on Galatians, uh, and the title of the whole series is on The Just Shall Live by Faith, the Gospel-Centered Life. Galatians chapter 1 tells us what the gospel is, and it identifies for us two evidences of the true gospel, change minds or beliefs and change lives. Galatians 2 reminds us that the gospel is the grace of God. It shows us that salvation is by faith alone and not by works. And this leads to living by grace as we are made good enough, righteous, and hence there's no more condemnation. As such, we do not need to prove our worth nor grab on to things to show our value. But God made us good enough. And we can live for Him by grace, and thus we need to share the gospel of grace. Today's topic is the gospel requires a response of faith. Before we hear the sermon, let us pray together. Father God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come and give us insight. Because we do not just want to walk with sight, but we want to, with your insight, be able to walk to bring you glory, and to bear the gospel well. We thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Henry Ford failed and went broke five times before he finally succeeded. Beethoven handled the violin awkwardly and preferred playing his own compositions instead of improving his technique. His teacher called him hopeless as a composer. Colonel Sanders had the construction of a new road put, out, put him out of business in 1967, and he went to over 1,000 places trying to sell his chicken recipe before he found an interested buyer uh, for his 11 herbs and spices. Seven years later, at the age of 75, Colonel Sanders sold his fried chicken company, known as KFC, for a finger-licking 15 million US dollars. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor for lack of ideas. Can you imagine that? Walt Disney. Disney also went bankrupt several times before he finally built Disneyland. Surely he was not short of ideas. Albert Einstein did not speak until he was four years old and didn't read until he was seven years old. If I have such a kid, I'll be very worried. His teacher described him as mentally slow, unsociable, and adrift forever in his foolish dream. He was expelled and refused admittance to Zurich Polytechnic School, and the University of Bern turned down his PhD dissertation as being irrelevant and fanciful. What does all these people have in common besides being famous? and making an impact on our world. All these famous people have re achieved some level of success because they had the resolve and resilience to continue. This is something that we can learn from them. The resilience to pursue our faith and grow in Christ. Because growing in Christ it's not easy. You will have setbacks. You will feel discouraged. 
But you need to have the resilience to persevere. The other thing that is common for these people is that they are achievers, aren't they? They are achievers. They have achieved a certain level of success or we can call them overachievers. They didn't receive what they had on the silver platter. They were self-made men. Friends, whenever we read of such stories or hear such illustration, we aspire to be like them inside us, don't we? We aspire to be like them. Why? Because in meritocratic Singapore, many of us have been conditioned to be achievers. And a handful of us become overachievers. And we celebrate all these people. Since young, we have been taught to study hard, receive a good education, right? Is that wrong? That's not wrong. Build a career, have a successful business. If you cannot build a career, start a business, be an entrepreneur. Is that wrong? That's not wrong. Invest and grow your net worth. Is that wrong? That in and of itself is not wrong because when you study hard, you receive a good education, you build a career, you invest and grow your net worth, it is called good stewardship. But it is wrong if your validation comes from it. It is wrong when you feel that only people value you when you have a good education, when you are rich, when you have a good career. Because that is not who you are. If one day you grow old, you retire. If one day your university become, instead of the top 50 in the world, become only the top 500. Will you lose your identity? Will you feel that I live my life in vain? Because people in our society value us when we perform, when we are able to contribute. And unknowingly, this forms our core belief and our own value system. Sadly, it doesn't stop there. It gets extended into our spiritual life. We try to be good so that we can be accepted by God. We try to earn our salvation. We try to be faithful to Him so that when we pray, He will hear our prayer. After you become a Christian, you keep the spiritual disciplines. You observe the Lord's Day, you give, you memorize scriptures, you do your quiet time, you pray, you even fast, practice silence and solitude, etc., etc. You get my point. You do your best to be a good Christian so that you can fit in the church, so that you can experience God's blessing. Friends, spiritual disciplines are good and necessary. Don't get me wrong. 
but we ask ourselves, why are we doing all this? Why do I need to check off quiet time? Why do I need to check off prayer life? Why do I need to check off Sunday worship or Saturday worship? Why? Why are we doing what we are doing? I hope you are not trying to earn God's favour. I hope you are not doing this to merit yourself. The goal of spiritual discipline, if you are taking notes, take this down. The goal of spiritual discipline is only one word, intimacy. But the irony is this, spiritual disciplines become a burden and we become less intimate with God. That is the danger. Many have missed the point. Many are trying to achieve. We are trying to achieve even with God. We try to achieve salvation. We try to achieve the mark, whatever that is in your mind, of being a good Christian. We are trying to achieve. But friends, we shouldn't be just trying to achieve. We must learn to receive. I learned this yesterday at the Men's Fellowship. I was very tempted not to go because it was 10 o'clock in the morning after diaconate prayer uh, and my sermon was not really completed yet and I have to preach, right? I was very tempted to stay at home and do my sermon. But I'm glad I went. Yesterday, the men considered our identity. Who we are truly? Who are you? If I were to pass you the mic and ask you to introduce yourself, how would you introduce yourself? Who are you? I'm Leonard. Usually that's how we introduce ourselves. And then you fill in the blanks. And then you list down all your achievements, right? Usually, I'm Leonard. I'm the executive pastor of Queenstown Baptist Church. Uh, and I don't have to say how big the church is. People know how big Queenstown Baptist Church is, right? And then I have how many children, how successful they are. I received my education here, there, you know? Who are you? How many of us can introduce ourselves like this? I'm Leonard, a child of God. We need to receive. As a child, you receive. Your daddy God does not love you more if you have a PhD. Your daddy God does not love you more if you are a pastor. Your daddy God does not love you more if you have this or that or you have achieved this or that. Your daddy God will still love you if you do not do your quiet time, can I say this? Your daddy God still loves you if you do not come to church on Sunday. Can I say this? Because that is who God is. He loves you, period. No condition from you. While we were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. 
He loves you. Salvation is received, not achieved. Love from God is received, not achieved. The Holy Spirit is received, not achieved. Intimacy with God is received, not achieved. Ever, un- un- ever wonder why Christians burn out? Because we have no intimacy with God, yet we are still performing. We are still trying to achieve without intimacy with God. We must learn to receive, not just achieve. God loves you and He wants to give to you freely. So learn how to receive from God with a thankful heart. But instead, we try to achieve and become bitter with God, angry with God. Instead of enjoying intimacy with God, you now keep time of your quiet time. How long I keep my quiet time? Today, I must do my quiet time. Yesterday, I forgot to do, then I feel self-condemned. Instead of loving God with your giving, you now become transactional with God. You remember how much you give Him. And you expect Him to bless you materially in return. You obey and serve Him because you expect Him to hear your prayer. Friends, it is so easy for us to to drift from receiving to achieving. If you are trying to achieve with God, you are being foolish. Don't be foolish. Live with insight, not just with sight. First point, Question is asked, faith or works? Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 9. Today our passage begins with the Galatians being called fools. Fools for drifting away from the faith of the gospel. Paul begins by asking a series of questions. As we look at the questions, let us also examine ourselves. The first question, who has bewitched you? Now they are like under a spell or black magic and they have been bewitched and they have become foolish. If Paul were to be a Singaporean Hokkien, he would ask, Lee Sim Si Tio Gong Tao? Have you been bewitched? You see, before Paul left, before he left them with the gospel, or or rather, when he left, he left them with the gospel, the message of Jesus crucified for them. But after some time, he comes back. And to his shock, when he talked to them, when he looked at their life, their priorities, their value system, they seem to have been like possessed. Have you seen people who have been possessed? They lost their mind. They do not know what they are doing. Paul is confronting their hazy understanding of Jesus and his crucifixion for them. What about us? Are we hazy? When we sing just now, nothing but the blood of Jesus 
Do we truly understand what that means? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Who can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Who can make you whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Stop adding your good works to the blood of Jesus. Because only faith in the blood of Jesus saves. The others are extra. <laughs> I don't serve God as a pastor so that I can earn His favour. But because I understand that the blood of Jesus saved me and I have an eternal debt to pay Him, I give myself to serve Him out of love. Nothing great in becoming a pastor. I'm just like you. Just that God has called me. And the fact of the matter is, if I do not obey God's calling, I will not have peace. I will not have joy. And therefore, for my own selfish reason, I have to respond and say yes to God so that I can sleep at night. That is what it is. I'm not holier than you. It is not a sacrifice. God does not shortchange us. He is no man debtor. I'm living a good life. I have lived a good life and I continue to live a good life. I'm blessed by God because I am a son of God. I'm a son. I'm not a slave. I'm a son. Second question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Paul is asking them a reflection question. How did you receive your Holy Spirit? Or how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Clearly, they received the Spirit by simply believing the Gospel, just like us. The Gospel was shared to us, and we believe it, and we receive the Holy Spirit. That is what it is. Not by observing the law. Friends, I want us to be reminded of this. We have received the Spirit by believing. Simply by believing. And if I may add, that belief, that faith that you have to believe, it is a gift of God. Not from us, so that none of us can boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, right? After establishing that they have begun their faith journey by receiving the Spirit by faith, Paul goes on to ask his third question. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You have been justified by faith. You are declared righteous by faith. And now, after justification, comes the process of sanctification. The process of sanctification to become more and more Christ-like. That is what most of us are in the process. We are in the process of sanctification. In the process of sanctification, you have to rely on the Spirit, not your flesh. Let that sink in. In the process of becoming more and more like Christ, you have to rely on the Spirit, not on your flesh. 
if I want to be more patient or more loving, I can do it by my own flesh. You get it? I want to serve God, I can do it by my own flesh. If you don't depend on the Spirit, you can last for a while, you can do it for a while, but after some time, like 10 years, you will give up, you will get burned out. Because that is not what it's meant to be. You don't rely on your flesh in the process of sanctification because this is a spiritual exercise. You must rely on the Spirit. Stop trying to finish by means of your flesh. That is what it is. And after sanctification comes glorification. When we finish our task here. Question four continues. Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? If you have received the Spirit by faith, don't finish it by means of the flesh. You have experienced this, haven't you? If you are a Christian long enough, you know that you must practice spiritual disciplines. Some people don't like the word discipline. They get triggered because discipline is a bad word for them. <laughs> so if you don't like being called spiritual disciplines, you can call it spiritual rhythm, spiritual habit, whatever you want to call it. But, if you, but the danger of spiritual disciplines or rhythm is this. We can become legalistic about it. As though we will lose our salvation if we miss one day of quiet time. Although we will lose our salvation and we become a slave of God if we miss one week of worship service. We can become legalistic. Just using quiet time for example. Must it be in the morning or in the evening? Or at lunchtime? How long should my quiet time be? Some people think that longer the quiet time, the more spiritual I am. As I grow uh, in, in my years as a Christian, the longer my, spirit, my, my quiet time must be. Must it be the Bible only? Or can I read also devotional guides? What version of the Bible must I read? Uh, this one not so applicable to us, but in some denomination it is. If we are not careful, we can become legalistic. If you come and ask your pastor and your pastor says this, it must be done first thing in the morning because God must be first. And it must be 30 minutes. And you can only read the Bible because devotional guides written by men. Theologically, sometimes they can be different from us. Friends, I know that I'm beginning to sound ridiculous here. But that's exactly the point. We become ridiculous when we become legalistic, when in fact we have freedom. You get the point? Enjoy your quiet time. Who tell you must be 30 minutes? Three minutes of intimacy is better than 30 minutes of struggle. You have experienced so much in vain. You not only are legalistic with yourself, 
Sadly, some of us, you know, we become pastors or leaders and we begin to become legalistic with others. I realize it, then I must stop being legalistic. Don't let my experience be in vain. I suffer, I went through, and then you pass your suffering. Sometimes the culture is like that, isn't it? I don't know, I, I hear some culture in the marketplace, you know, they get bullied when they are junior, lawyer, architect, or whatever. You fill in the blanks. And then they become senior one fine day. They also pass on that culture to the junior, the intern that come in, pass, you know, them and so on. Have you suffered in vain? If you pass on that kind of negative culture, you have indeed suffered in vain. Being a legalistic Christian is suffering. Being around legalistic Christians is more suffering. Christians can do this, Christians cannot do this, Christians must do this, Christians cannot do that, you know, must this, must that. Christians, if we are not careful, we become modern-day Pharisees. We add on to God's requirement and then we police it and we judge one another with it. Perhaps the Galatians have suffered under legalistic leaders and now they have become legalistic themselves. Paul asks, have you suffered in vain for nothing? People have asked me, Pastor, Pastor Leonard, why are you so chill and relaxed? Why you don't tell people what to do? Why don't you direct, become more directive, you know? Sure, if it is clearly from the Bible and a clear command, I will preach it and I will teach it as a command. Otherwise, if it is not black or white, it is grey, I don't have to call it black or white. You know where I'm coming from? Otherwise, I will allow the Holy Spirit to teach you and direct you. You must obey the Holy Spirit, not just your pastor. You must obey the Word of God. You see, in the past, I have experienced legalism. And I have experienced and practiced legalism. I grew up in a conservative church, you see, in the 80s. Went to a conservative Bible college. I will not name names. eh? If you know, you know. I've suffered as a legalistic Christian. And I don't wish you to suffer under a legalistic pastor. It's time for you to grow in word and grow to hear the voice of God, hear the Spirit and obey Him, not just obey the pastor. If your pastor is faithful, he is a good pastor, fine and good, but maybe I'm not not good enough. Because in the past, I have told people to do certain things and then 20, 30 years down the road, I repent. (laughs) If I continue to be legalistic with you, then I have suffered in vain. Some of us or many of us are leaders in your own field, in the church, in your own family. Don't become overly legalistic, if you know what I mean. You began your faith journey with the Spirit, finish with the Spirit, not by means of the flesh. Fifth question he asked, does God give you His Spirit and work work miracles among you 
by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard. Paul is reminding them that God gives them His Holy Spirit and work miracles among them because they have believed the gospel. Yet the Galatians were deceived into thinking that spiritual riches were gained by a works relationship by a, in the flesh. You see, we cannot have more of the Spirit by doing more by the flesh. I repeat that again. We cannot have more of the Spirit by doing more of the flesh. Think about your quiet time. Think about your Bible reading. Think about your faith journey. We cannot have more of the Spirit by doing more by the flesh. We depend on our own will. We keep our time. We put in effort. We sacrifice. And then we want to grow in the Spirit. Does that happen? It's like exercising your leg and then you expect your hand muscle to grow. It doesn't happen that way, right? You must be targeted. You must have more of the Spirit by relying on the Spirit. The Spirit cannot work miracles by us observing the works of the law. Instead of works of the flesh, have faith, have faith in the God of the gospel. Very quickly, verse 6. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. When Abraham believed God, righteousness was credited to him. Just like when you believe God, righteousness was credited to you. You want to be righteous and not self-righteous? You must believe God, just like Abraham. Verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. If you have faith in the gospel, then understand that you are children of Abraham because you have the same faith as him. He is the father of faith. Verse 8. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. All nations, including Gentiles, will be blessed is actually a quotation from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. The first book of the Bible, chapter 12. The gospel coming to the Gentiles was not an afterthought after Israel rejected the Messiah. Sometimes we think or we read people who write that, or oh, because the Jews rejected the Messiah, therefore salvation has come to the Gentiles. As if Salvation coming to the Gentile is plan B. There's no plan B with God. God does not need plan B because God has a plan. <laughs> the gospel coming to the Gentiles was not an afterthought. From the time of Abraham, Genesis 12, before the giving of the law, God already had a plan for the Gentiles. The gospel for all nations, all nations include Nations other than Israel. All nations. Verse 9. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the father or the man of faith. Those who rely on faith and not on works are blessed along with Abraham. Very straightforward. Point number two. After asking faith or works, 
the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 10 to verse 14 of Galatians 3. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Here Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of the law by carrying them out. Then all the people back then in Deuteronomy time shouted, Amen. If you want to keep the law, then you must keep the law perfectly. You must live by the law and you will be judged according to the law. If you are not able to keep the law by carrying out the law completely, then you are cursed. Verse 11, Clearly no man or no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. If you rely on the law, you will not be justified before God because no one is able to keep the law completely. And you will be found guilty if you rely on the law because the righteous will live by faith. Here he quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Again in the Old Testament. Eh? Sometimes we think that the just shall live by faith is only for New Testament. But it is found also in the Old Testament. Verse 12. The law is not based on faith. But on the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. If you rely on the keeping of the law, then it is not based on faith. Because law don't need faith one. <laughs> Instead, it says you will need to continue to live by the law perfectly. We know that if we rely on the law, we will not be able to justify ourselves. We cannot stand before God and tell God, God, I just follow law. I follow all the law. We are Singaporeans, right? We are very good at following law, right? We are so good until a movie made out of it, no? just follow law. We are like robots. No? Light turn green, I just go. Light turn red, I just stop. I Green, I just go. Car, no car, I don't care. Green, I go. Right? That's how we drive, right? Red means stop. If I don't stop, I get caught on the camera. So behind car, very close, coming, uh, uh, not able to stop on time, I also stop. They bang me, I claim their insurance. We just follow law. But we forgot. We are not robots. Robots follow law. AI uh, is written by human, right? And then you write in a certain way the computer language, they will law by law they follow. Right? There's a process, right? We are not robots. We are human beings. We must follow the spirit of the law. So next time red light, just look at your rearview mirror, see whether the car behind very close or not. That is the spirit of the law. When light turn green, please check left or right or whether the small boy or old man still crossing or not before you go. That is the spirit of the law. Don't just follow law. We cannot be justified by the law. Instead of relying on the law, we need to have faith in Christ to redeem us. The purpose of the law, what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to show us that we cannot fully keep the law and we are transgressors 
and it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ who came to keep the law on our behalf. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Curse is everyone, any, everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Christ redeemed us. Another word for redeem is exchange. When you have a voucher, when you receive a voucher, you, know, you can go and redeem. You can go and redeem something. You exchange. Christ exchanged places with us on the cross. We broke the law and we are cursed to death by hanging. Instead, Christ died on the cross by hanging to redeem us so that the blessings given to Abraham might come to Gentiles like you and me through Christ Jesus so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Verse 15, and this is the last point and we'll end with this, the promise. Faith or works, the just must live through faith. And there's a promise. Verse 15, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so this is the case. Paul illustrates here for us using uh, our modern-day contract. Once that contract is established, nobody can modify it by adding to it or removing from it. Verse 16, The promise was spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to his seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, singular, meaning one person, which is Christ. You see, God's promise was to Abraham and his seed, Christ. And verse 17 goes on to say, what I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. What does this 430 years refer to? It refers to the 430 years in Egypt where they were enslaved. After the 430 years in bondage, the Lord gave them the law on Sinai. Remember the wilderness? The law does not set aside the Abrahamic covenant which was before Egypt and does not do away with the promise. Verse 18. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What is referring to here is Genesis chapter 15. God made a covenant, a promise with Abraham. God asked Abraham to bring certain animals. You can go back and read it for yourself. Cut the animals up, open them, put on two sides, and the center have a passageway, just like that. <laughs> One side of the animal, the other side of the animal. And then God made Abraham to sleep. Usually, what happens is when you cut a covenant like that, both parties will have to walk through the two kings. Uh, for example, if it's two nations, they will write out a contract, a covenant, 
and then they will put the animals on the side and then they, two of the two kings will walk past the center. What does this mean? That means to say if any one of us break this covenant, we will be like the two an- the animals that is on two sides. Our bodies will be split open. We will die. Did Abraham walk that covenant? Abraham didn't walk that covenant. Abraham was put to sleep by God and God walked that covenant alone. That is the promise. All nations will be blessed through you. That's why in verse 19 and 20, it continues, Why then was the law given at all? Because of transgressions, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator, referring to Moses. A mediator, however, implies more than one party because every contract must have two two parties, right? God and Israel in this case. But God is one. Only one walked that covenant. What does it tell us? The promise is unconditional. God will keep that part of His promise and He will walk. And to us, no condition, free. That's why I say, if you do not keep your quiet time, God still loves you. If you miss one Sunday for worship, God still loves you. You do not lose your status or your calling or your position as a child of God. Friends, we are no longer chained by the law. We can be free because Christ has redeemed us and has given us a promise. Do you believe that? The gospel requires a response of faith. How do I respond with faith? We will close with this question. How do I respond with faith? Do we truly believe by faith? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we serve Him, we love Him. That is our response. And we don't rely and depend on that. If you are not yet a believer of Christ, I want to give you an invitation to respond to the gospel by faith. I will lead us in prayer, so let us all close our eyes, bow our heads. And you can pray this prayer silently following me in your heart. God, I recognize that I'm not good enough. I recognize that I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ to die for my sins because the penalty of sin is death. So Lord, I accept. I accept Jesus as my Savior. Forgive me my sin. In Jesus' name, I pray. We are not done. Don't get distracted by the choir. If you are a Christian, I want you to know 
that you are freed by the gospel. You receive the Spirit when you believe the gospel. Finish your faith journey relying on the Spirit to grow you, not relying on your flesh by keeping the law. God has already declared you righteous. You are free. You are no longer bound and chained by the law. You are free. But the irony is this. Some of us take the chain that God has broken and chain ourselves and chain others by being legalistic. You are free. You are free. Follow the Spirit. Recognize the voice of God and follow Him. Let us pray together. Father God, we thank you for the gospel. Indeed, the just shall live by faith. And we thank you that you have justified us and Lord, by 